This is one heck of a parrot. Whoa. Hold on to your hats. It is um, a lot. And I don't like, I'm just like, oh boy. <clears throat> okay. Um, so we're going to have to move very quickly because there's a ton of stuff to cover. And it's all very complicated. I need to leave some serious time to talk about the whole story of um, daughter of Yiftah. So uh, we'll go right away to begin our screen share. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, you see that it's a longish parak, Yudalif. We, what we had, what we did last time, was that we had the the Perak Yud, which was sort of a a kind of turning point in Sefer Shoftim. We talked about this, how the the constant <coughs> sin and not sin, sin and not sin, <coughs> so to speak worn Hashem down and he's like, I'm done, I'm not gonna help you guys anymore. I'm tired of you. <coughs> and the Jewish people say, no, no, please save us, please save us. And Hashem says, okay, but there seems to be a change. After chapter 10, we see that the cycle is somewhat broken. Hashem is not appointing the judge, although I Hashem raises up the judge, we see. Here it says that the elders appoint the judge, and we see a different kind of situation, <clears throat> much less clear and much more difficult for the Jewish people. <clears throat> so we see in chapter 11, a few distinct parts, if you look at this particular version, the first section is the background of Yiftach, our judge and um, his family, where he comes from. <clears throat> the next section is the elders come to him to be their leader. Sukim Yud Bet is a very long section where um, Yiftach conducts actual negotiations with the king of Ammon, which is actually fascinating, the first uh, political negotiation that we see in the Tanakh. And then the end is the war, Haftet, Lamed, and Lamed Aleph, <coughs> the infamous vow. And uh, Lamed Bet, Lamed Gimel, the actual war, he, he wins the war, and then he comes back home, Pasuk Lamed Dalet, to Mem, and he discovers the, the really tragic results of his vow. Okay, <clears throat> so I want to go back. Here we'll go with this nice big print. Go back to Psukim in order to put ourselves into the place, okay? Uh, at the end of chapter 10, the, ch the children of Ammon had camped in Gilad and B'nai Israel camped in Mitzpah. So I want you to see this on the map. Let me enlarge it a little bit. 
in chapter 10, we had said, maybe I need to show you inside. We had said that verse nine, if I'm not mistaken, the children of Ammon crossed the Jordan, Pasuk 10, at this point in time, the children of Ammon had gone over the, the river, the Jordan, and they had attacked Yehuda bin Yamin and Ephraim. So Ammon is kind of over here. So they came across the Jordan and encroached on bin Yamin, Ephraim, and Yehuda, and the Jewish people were crying out. That's when they actually cried out to God. And God helped them. And we see that at the end of this parak, which is quite interesting, they're already back on the other side of the Jordan. In other words, they are camping in Gilad, which is on the East Bank, and the Jews are camping in Mitzvah. So there's a sort of subtle thing that we have to pay attention to, that the Ammonites did not stay on the west side of Jordan. They come back to the east side, and all of the activity takes place now on the east side. So here is Gilad. This whole stretch is Gilad. And if we look at this map, maybe, maybe it's a little bit clearer. What you see here on the east side of Jordan, you have Reuben, Gad, and Menashe. Here's Mitzpah. This whole area was known as Gilad. And it's interesting because Yiftach's father's name is Gilad. They're very, very much associated with that territory. And Gilad is a Menashe family, and Gilad and Yiftach is a Menashe person. So Menashe are the people who are most badly affected by the encroachment of the B'nai Ammon. So if the Ammonites gather at Gilad, right? <clears throat> And the Jews gather at Mitzvah. In Pasuk at the end of last parak, the, the elders, the, the, the officers of Gilad were saying, who is going to help us fight B'nai Amon? It's Pasuk Yudchet. The person who will fight with B'nai Amon is going to be the head of all the dwellers of Gilad. And we don't see the end of that until we met Yiftach. So what happens when you meet Yiftach? Pasuk Aleph, Perek Yed Aleph. The Yiftach HaGiladi Hayagi Bar The first thing we hear about Yiftach, he is a Gibar Chayel. And that is what is necessary in this time. <clears throat> we need someone to push back the Bnei Amon. The other part of Yiftach's uh, background is not so uh, <clears throat> exciting and, and stable. It's Behu. Now, here's a very strange phrase, okay? He was the son of an Isha Zona, okay, which is not a nice thing. But it says, Gilad, by Yolad Gilad at Yifta. And Mitsudas points out, even though his mother was a Zona, a not nice, uh, not um, a virtuous woman, right? In any event, it was clear that Gilad was the father. <clears throat> What's going on here with the Zona stuff? So there are a number of different explanations for this. We'll look at Radak. I'll just show you. Radak goes into a long discussion of this. And he goes through a lot of different possibilities. 
Pelagish. Pelagish is a concubine. The status of a concubine is something we'll talk about later in chapter uh, 19. But, but we ha what you have to know is that Pelagish was a regular wife of secondary degree. She didn't have Kedushin, she didn't have a Ktuba, but she was a wife. So if, if um, Gilad's wife is a Pelagish, why are we calling her a Zona? Okay, strange. Now, if you recall back in Yoshua, whoever was with me learning Yoshua, Rahab is called a Zona. And over there, this is the first thing he mentions here, Yonatan gave Pundikita. Yonatan, the Targum on the Nabi, who's not the same as Onkelos, by the way, <coughs> he's the Tana who's buried in Amuka, where people die on fish of him. He says she was an innkeeper. Pundikita is an innkeeper. And, <coughs> right, and he says, he also called Rahab a Zona Pundikita. Or she actually was a zona, a zona like a pundikita which makes herself hefker. So you know what they say, coffee, tea, or me. She was available for other services. However, it doesn't make sense here to call her a regular zona or even an innkeeper who dabbled on the side in prostitution because Gilad is the father. So if we go for the idea that she was a secondary wife, why are we calling her a zona? So here we have another idea. Okay, and he goes into it here, but um, since we have it clearly in the Ralbag, go back to the Ralbag. The Ralbag says the same idea, right? She was Ben Isha Shaitam Shevet Acher. She was from a different tribe. This is a very strange thing. It's like, what's the big deal if she was from a different tribe? So I just want you to put your minds back to the story of the daughters of Tzlachad. There were five sisters with no brother, and the halacha was that they get to inherit. So the difficulty arises when the, one of these girls decides to marry someone from a different tribe, right? And then if that um, husband inherits her, so then the land that's supposed to be, let's say, this is Menashe, the land's supposed to be, Menashe could be moved over to some nice, uh, you know, family in God. So the girls of Tzlafcha, the daughters of Tzlafcha were asked to marry within the tribe. And it became a thing in the time of the Shoftim, and we'd see this in different Midrashim and different places, that they were marrying within their own tribe. So in this case, the Ralbag suggests this, and also the Radak, that if, she was from a different tribe, and that was a problem. And so she's rejected, and Yiftaf is rejected. And here becomes a very um, uh, unsavory story, classic bet. Now, Gilad, Yiftaf's father, has a different wife who's a more, you know, uh, a woman of more status, of a regular wife, and she has sons. This is what they say to him. You, Yiftach, will not inherit in the house of our father. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a little trouble with my voice tonight. Because you are the son of a different woman. Now, they're being very polite. If his mother is a Zona, 
and they're being very polite. On the other hand, the Gemara says it's a complete Avel. They're not allowed to do this. This is not a, a, a according to Halacha. And if you look in Pashas Kitetze, you see that if a man has two wives, the Ahuba and the Snua, it doesn't matter. His son is his son, and his son gets to inherit. So halachically, they don't have a leg to stand on, but they are uh, not nice to him, and this is a great injustice, and they throw him out. And Yiftach had to run away from his brothers. They probably threatened him. <coughs> and he dwelt in the land of Tov. And they gathered to him, to Yiftah, empty men, and they went out with him. I'll show you again the map. Tov, this is actually the dot. Mikris Cheshbon, they thought that this is where Eretz Tov is, up, up north there. Now, it cannot be that it's an adjective because Eretz is feminine. So it would be Eretz Tovah. This is the land called Tov. And what happens? Who comes to him there? Anashim Reikim. <clears throat> what does it mean that they're Reikim? I don't know if you remember, but um, Abimelech, the evil son of Gidom's concubine, he get, gathers people who are Reikim and Pochazim. They're empty, but they're also hasty. They're, they're rash. These people are just empty. So it's possible that they were in the same position as Yiftah. They didn't have any property. They didn't have any land. But what happens? By Yetsuimo. What does it mean by Yetsuimo? They became kind of uh, uh, an army of his. So I kind of like picture Yiftah as like a Robin Hood. He's got his merry band of men and they live out in the, in the wilds. And, and that's what he does. He has to run away from his brothers. A very great injustice, nothing that he, no, no fault of his own, he is thrown out. And it's kind of ironic that the place that he goes is called Eretz Tov, because the whole situation is not Tov. Okay, Pasuk Israel. So now the, the text goes back to the story at the end of chapter 10, where we heard that the Bnei Amon are fighting with Israel. The elders of Gilad went to take Yiftach from this land of Tov. Now, this brings us to our first life lesson. The Mishnah says, Do not despise any person. There's no person who doesn't have his hour. Just as in a, in a general sense, it is wrong to despise any person because everybody's created in the image of God. Everybody's deserving of respect. But the Mishnah is showing you um, in cases like Yiftach's that you're going to have to, you know, uh, eat some humble pie. If you go back to the end of chapter 10, you see they said, whoever will fight the Bnei Amon will be for us a head of all the dwellers of Gilad, right? So that's very nice. Who's jumping up for this job? Nobody. Nobody's volunteering. They're like stuck. What are we going to do? The only military hero we have handy is this Yiftach. And he is despised and he was thrown out. 
and his mother is, uh, we don't know. But they're stuck. So the elders go to Gilad. Uh, they go, the elders of Gilad go to take Yiftah from Eretz Tov. What do you suppose they were thinking, right? The Das Mikra says they probably thought he'll be so thrilled to be called by them that he'll jump at the offer and say, oh, you want me? I'll be so happy to help you. But they don't know who they're dealing with, clearly. Come, they said, be for us an officer and we will fight the sons of Amon. Now, do you recall what they promised the person who was going to get this job? We'll go back to the end of chapter 10. Yeyel Arosh, Gilad. Whoever comes, he's going to be the head of everyone in Gilad. And when they realize that it's Yiftach, they got to, you know, beg him for help. They say, you're going to be Pasuk you're going to be Katsin. What's the difference between Rosh and Katsin? Katsin is an officer. You fight your battle, you go back home, you're taken out of the army. The Rosh is the head of everything. And Yiftach is many things, but he's nobody's fool. Pasuk Zion. And he's not a happy camper with these people. He lets them have it with both barrels. Hey, you guys hated me. You threw me out from the house of my father. Why are you coming to me now when you have trouble? Uh, oh, awkward. What do you say to that? Now, first of all, why does he <clears throat> say you threw me out? Who actually threw him out? His brothers. Now look at the Mitsuda says, According to Mitsudas, right, you helped. He accuses them, you helped them, right? Other Mepharshim say he didn't help them. They didn't help them, but they didn't protest, which brings us to another life lesson. If you see an injustice done, you must speak up, especially if you're in a position of authority and you could do something about it. How did they dare to let this man be wronged? He deserved his father's nahala. He deserved to be left alone. They not only um, took away from him his rights, they actually took away his whole you know, livelihood. They threw him out and he's very angry. Right? And now you're coming to me when you have trouble? Pasachet. Very came back to you. Right? Oh, like, we're sorry. Now they up their offer again. They see they can't get away with him with just like, oh, be a, an army officer. So they say, oh, we come back to their original offer. Come with us. We're sorry. We didn't mean it. We love you. And you're going to be the head of all the people of Gilad. And Yiftach, this is uh, according to the Malbin, his answer here is, is uh, it's quite a sharp one, right? If you bring me back to fight the people of Amon, and don't forget, he's a from guy, and God will give them before me. I know I'm going to be the head. So the Malmim explains 
Yiftuk's uh, stand here is that if I go and fight your battle and I win and God helps me to win, then I'm going to be the head. What happens if I lose? I want to be the head now. In other words, by natural right, the minute I win the war, I'm the head. So I want to be the head now. You can sit and draw a very interesting contrast between Yiftach and Gidon. Gidon. Uh, I'm not going to rule you. And Yiftach, I want to be the leader now. Right? You see there's a vast difference in, um, what shall we call it? Uh, Midos? Prosecute. God will be our witness, the elder said to him, if we're not going to do like you say. They are over barrel. They have no choice. They say, sure. Sure, get a yiftach, whatever you want. You want to be the head, you're the head. So now you see, He's driven a hard bargain. He has been put into place as the head and the officer, everything together. And he speaks out his words before God in mitzvah. So that's a very strange thing. What does it mean he speaks out his words? So the Mitsuda says, Rashi says, um, the conditions between him and the elders, right? And the Mitsuda says, so it's important to understand with all of his faults, and you will find out his faults, with all his faults, he believes in God, he trusts God, he talks about God. That's a good thing. On the other hand, we're going to find out a lot of faults. So from verse 12 to verse 28 is the interaction between Yiftach and the king of Amon. Okay, prosecute bet. And he sends messengers to the king of the sons of Ammon saying, what is between you and me that you have come to fight in my land? And notice the language here. It's very telling. What's with, he, he, it looks in the first person. He is, it's like, you know, the, 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 the royal we. Right, he is, why, what's between me and you? You came to me to fight in my land. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different tones. If you sit and compare him to Gidon, and Gidon is like, you know, I'm going to fight for you. Um, so we get a little bit of a, eh, the tone is not so terrific here. He says to the messengers of Yiftach, The king of Ammon sends back a message to Yiftach saying, when the Jews came out of Egypt, they took my land from the Arnon to the Yabok to the Jordan and now give it back in peace. Have you ever heard before the expression territory for peace? This is where it comes from. Our enemies are completely out of touch with reality. You give me land, I'll give you peace. And this is the bargain that they try to make with us. 
and nothing has changed in thousands of years. It's, it's quite it's quite astounding to me, you know. Those of us who remember the years when uh, they kept talking about, we'll give you, you know, you give, we'll give you peace if you give us territory. And uh, unfortunately, the Israeli government fell for that a few times. Okay, I want to look at the map because I want to explain to you um, what's going on here. Okay, so um, I just want to pick the best map. Right, let's go over here. I think this is the clearest map. Now you look at the Dead Sea here. There is a tributary flowing east from the Dead Sea called the Arnon River. And up north, between the Dead Sea and Kinneret, there's another river going out that's called the Yabok. Do you see these two rivers? So this territory between the Yabok and Arnon, I'm sorry, that whole territory with the west, um, the western border being the Jordan, north Yabok, south Arnon, and the east over here. This is the this is the contested territory that we're talking about, and it's important to understand the geography of it in order to understand what's happening. Okay, so let's go back to the Chumash a little bit. I open this up. Okay, this is this is the Bar and Perak Bet. By the way, by the way, the story of Yiftach and his negotiations with the king of Ammon. This section, Yiftach, Shoftim Nir Aleph, is the Haftorah for Parshas Chukas, by the way, and um, without the daughter of Yiftach's story. And if you, um, you'll see there the story in detail, but I found this to be um, more helpful in terms of showing you what happens. Hashem, they're journeying around. This is Moshe Rabbeinu uh, recapping what happens in Chukas in Perak Bet of Devarim. Hashem said, go around. It's enough that you're going around. You go around um, passing through the border of the children of Esau, be very careful. I'm not giving you anything of Esau. And then later on, you cannot bother Moab. You will not, I'm not giving you anything from Moab. And then uh, here, you're going to cross the border of Moab and you're going to approach the children of Ammon. I'm not giving you anything of Ammon. We have a clear command in the Chumash that our Relative nations, that is, the children of Esau, Edom, the children of Moab and Ammon, who are children of Lot, we are not allowed to start up with them. We are not allowed to take their land. But further down here, Hashem says, Behold, get up, he says, go around the Nahal Arnon, the river I showed you, and I will give you your hands, the territory of Sichon, the king of Cheshbon, the Amorite, and his land begin to uh, get rid of them and start uh, make a war there. Okay, so going back to our map here, okay, you see, no, you know, I need this other map now. Okay, oh, I'm sorry, a lot of maps. Oh, shucks. There you go. Okay. The Jewish people are coming around here. They're coming around the wilderness of Paran and the Sinai. They're coming around Edom. They're coming up. 
South of the Arnon is Moab. They're coming up, they're not bothering Moab. Ammon is east, east of the territory of Sichon. They don't bother Ammon. When they want to go through the territory of Sichon, if you can see my point, you're going through, they come to Sichon and they say, we want to go through your land. And Sichon says, over my dead body, and he attacks them. And what the Chazal say, it's a very interesting Chazal, but basically what's happening here is because we're not allowed to start up with Amon or Moab or Edom, Kadesh Baruch Hu, a generation or two back, back before the Jews left Israel, made sure that Sihon, who has no relation, right, and he's an Emoe king, that Sihon would take over this piece of land, and that land, he would attack the Jews, and they would take it over. So Yiftach goes through a whole history lesson, and he goes through this whole thing with the king of Amon. Says you took my land, right? And Yiftach continued talking. He sent messengers to the king of the sons of Anam. Another one of these things where you see Yiftach's pride and his self-importance. Thus says Yiftach. It's uh, disturbing when you think of how many times the Tanakh says Koamar Hashem. And now he goes into a history lesson which shows that he knows his history. When the Jewish people came out of Egypt, they went in the desert until the, 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 the Yamsuf and they came to Kadesha, which is... Um, uh, between Egypt, the Sinai there, Paskid Zion, by Yishlach Yisrael, I don't have that map for you, sorry, forgot to put that one up. Yitzayim, by Yishlach Yisrael, Malachim, Amalach Edom, Lemoa, Ebron, Abar, Tzecha, Velo, Shema, Melech, Edom, Vegam, Melech, Moab, Shalach, Velo, Abar, Yishlach Yisrael, Kadesh. The Jewish people wanted to go to, through Edom, come up from the south through the north, and they wanted to go from Moab, which is the south, um, southeast, and they don't like they don't allow us to go through Pusik. They stayed in Kaddish for a while. And then They went around, they traveled the desert, they went around Edom, they went around Moab, they came east, east of Moab, and they camped in the border of Arno, but they didn't come into Moab, right? Because this is Arno, that's the border of Moab. They went around Moab and they came to the border of Arno, which is Sichon's territory. And the children of Israel sent messengers to Sichon, the king of Amori and the king of Cheshbon. They said, we want to pass through your land to come to our place. Zichon did not believe them, Pasukah. He did not trust them. He did not believe them. He did not allow them. Lohemin Zichon is Israel of Orbig Bulo. Uh-uh, he said. So he came out of Cheshbon. Here's Cheshbon. And he attacked them here at Yatza. They were here on the Arnon River. He came out to attack. And they won this war. They won this whole territory from Sichon. 
אז חבל לך, ויתן השם אל כסרל ציחה, ואת כל עמו ביד ישראל ויקום, ויירש ישראל את כל ארץ האמורי יושב בארץ ההיא. השם, the God of Israel, gave Sichon and his whole nation in the hands of Israel, and they struck them, and Israel inherited all the land in that area. They took all, the Jews took all the border of the Amori from Arnon to Yabok and from the desert to the Ardain. Now Yipsuk is proving, okay, two things. Now, the, the Malbim goes into a whole discussion of the four points that Yipsuk is making. Point number one is, we never took your land. We took land from Sichon. Number two, we are peaceable people. We only fought Sihon when he attacked us. We would have walked right through if he had let us. That's point two. Now, point three. Plus a cup gave a batashin on Israel. God gave us this land. Point three. God gave us this land. That's like a sarcastic. You're going to take it from us? You think? Plus a cup dollar. You, their god of, of Ammon and Moab was called Kemosh. Kemosh, if Kemosh gives you land, you'll get land. And whoever God expelled people before us and gave us the land, that's what we'll have. In other words, point three, God gave us the land. Okay, point number one, we didn't take it from you, we took it from Sichon. Point number two, it was a defensive war. Point number three, God gave it to us, and your God could give you whatever your God wants. And too bad, so sad, as my niece is fond of saying. Are you any better, than Bullock? Remember Bullock? Back in the Chumash, Harov Rabbim Israel and Nechom Nechambam. Notice the double language, the emphasis. Bullock, the great king of Moab, he didn't fight us. Remember what Bullock tried to do to the Jews. He hired a magician to curse us. He was too scared to attack the Jews directly. So are you any better than him? Back in the day, Pasuk Chabab. B'Shevet Yisrael b'Cheshbom v'Notel b'Aror v'Notel b'Chol Ha'arim Asherideh Arno Shlosh Meit Shana. Here, this is the cities of Aroer, Aroer, and Cheshbon, Aroer, all these cities. We've been sitting here for 300 years. Where the heck have you been? If you guys had a problem with us, why are you coming now 300 years later? Could just imagine the chutzpah, you know, you come along 300 years later and say, you know, give me back my land. Of course, we are not surprised like this because we, we live this. You know, they have the chutzpah always to demand things for nothing. So that's the fourth point. The fourth point is, where have you been for 400 years? Pasuk Chabav continues, where have you been for 300 years? Now, by the way, I don't want to go into 300 years. It's a long story. The Chazal sort of twist themselves into pretzels, trying to put the whole uh, uh, period of the Shoftim in 300 years. I think that it was probably a little bit of a rounded off number. Because if you're sending a message, you probably didn't want to say, where have you been for 315 and a half years? It just sounds better. 300 years and you haven't done anything. 
classic Chabzayim. Anochi lo chatasilach. Vato seitira. Notice again the personalization here. I didn't do anything to you. I. He's, he's totally identifying himself with the Jewish people. Atah seitira. You're doing bad to me, Lehilachem B. You're coming and doing evil to me. Yishpot Hashem Hashofeid Hayom. He says, okay, guys, God will choose between us. As expected. The king of the sons of Amun did not listen to the words of Yiftach, because who cares what you say? And now the next section, and it's important to note that Yiftach gets Ruach Hashem. Okay, I think we should just sum up this whole interesting negotiation and say that you learn from here that it's better to talk before you have a physical confrontation. And you also learn that um, our enemies don't listen. They don't listen to logic. We have a principle in the Chumash Rashi brings, we have that's describing Abraham because uh, love makes people act illogically. And then you have hate. Hatred makes people act illogically. And um, we don't have to go too far to see that. You know, we we're talking to different uh, sources about the Holocaust and, uh, you know, and, and I was listening to somebody said, you know, there's absolutely no logic to the fact that Hitler, Yamach Shemo, kept on trying to kill Jews while he was losing the war. That was his whole focus, is how, how many Jews he was. Hatred makes people act illogically. Always remember, Yiftach did have Ruach Hashem. He is um, inspired by God to do this battle. Before, wait, before Laman, I just want to show you where this works. He goes from Mitzpeh Gilad. He's going directly to Amon, the Dasnik, when Amalman point this out. His strategy is not to wait for them to attack him, but to go directly to their own cities and to fight with them there. Pasuk Laman. The infamous vow. By Yidar Yiftach Nedel Hashem. By Yomer. Im Naton Titein et Bnei Amon Biadi. And Yiftach made a vow, Pasuklamit. And he said, if God will give, if you, he's talking to God, will give the sons of Ammon in my hand, Maton Tite, the double. Pasuklamit, Bahaya. Hayotse asher yetse mi dalte beti, lekarti, beshuvi beshalom mi ne amor, Bahayala shem, Bahalitihu ola. And it will be. That which goes out from the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, and it will be for God, and I will bring him up as a sacrifice. And Ola, by the way, is a complete burnt offering. The, das, um, the art scroll beautifully translated this as an elevation offering. It's considered the highest form of sacrifice because nothing remains for the people, it's all for God. And then you have to say to yourself, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? 
that thing that comes out of the doors to greet me. What was he thinking? What's gonna come out of the door to greet you when you come back in peace from the battle with the sons of Ammon? What do you think is going to come out of the doors of your house? This was a completely um, off the wall vow. <clears throat> okay, on the other hand, it's part of his, what he conceives as his avodas Hashem. He says, God will give, if God gives it to me, I will give something to God. However, we're going to get into this a little bit later. I think it's best in this sugya to just go through the psukim so you'll see the whole thing and then we can try to make sense out of it. Pasuk Lamed Bet. And here he is successful. Lamed Bet. And Yiftach goes, uh, crosses to the sons of Ammon and fights them and God gives him, Hashem helps him here. And don't forget, right? It's a, it's a victory from God. And he's done this interesting thing. He doesn't fight with them. He struck them from Aroer until the entrance to Minit, 20 cities until Avel Kramim, a tremendous blow. And the children of Ammon surrendered from before the children of Israel. Now, if you just look again at this map, you see Aroer, you see Macheshbon, uh, Avel Kramim. He knocks them out of the water and they have to surrender. And this is a great victory and he's very happy. And he comes back to Mitzvah to his home. And behold, it's his daughter coming out to greet him with um, instruments and dancing, rejoicing. His only child. She had no children. She was unmarried. And it was when he saw her, he ripped his clothes. Ah, oh, whoa, BT, my daughter. You have brought me to my knees. And you have been among those who sully me. A beautiful play on words that's hard to appreciate in this heartbreaking moment. Israel um, accuses Eliyahu, dirty of Israel, right? You have brought me to my knees, and you have been those among those who dirty me. I've opened my mouth to God. I can't take it back. Right? And it's just like, it's heartbreaking. And he's heartbroken. His only child. <clears throat> and she says to him, You have opened your mouth to God. Do to me what has come out of your mouth. 
אחרי אשר עשה לך השם נקמות מאויביך מבני עמון. Since God did revenge from your enemies, from the sons of Ammon, look at this girl. She's a very... Um, it's like, it's, it's a, the only way I can think of to describe her actions. She's very from. He's very from. God, I promised God, and I have to do what God says. And she's like, you know, you promised God, and he helped you, and you have to listen to God. She's very from. She's very naive. Pazik Lama Zayin. Just one thing I'm asking from you. Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone. <coughs> Leave me for two months. I will go. A strange phrase. I will go down on the mountains, which, think about that. I would usually go up on the mountains. And I will mourn my virginity, me and my girlfriends. Very strange. He says, go. And he sent her for two months. And she went for two months with her friends and she mourned her virginity on the mountains. And it was at the end of two months, she returned to her father. And he did to her his vow that he had vowed. And she never knew a man, but Israel became a law in Israel. From year to year, once a year, the girls of Israel would go to mourn the daughter of Yiftach Agiladi four days in the year. Okay, an absolute tragedy on any level. What do we make of this story? Okay, so I, I want to... Um, I want to do this with Seder because we don't have a lot of time. There's so much to talk about. Um, the first thing I want you to understand <clears throat> is that there is a, uh, an opinion that he did not actually make her sacrifice. And it goes like this, okay? If you look at Pasuk Lam and Aleph, the, the vow itself, there's four words here. And right, whatever comes out from uh, my door when I return in peace, Bahayala Shem Malitihu Olam. Okay, so the Radak brings us out. Now, this is, I think, the original the originator of this theory is the Ibn Ezra, and uh, we don't actually have the Ibn Ezra itself. We only have the Ramban on the Ibn Ezra, and I will show that to you. But the idea is like this, and the Radak talks about. I can show you the Radak, but let's leave it here. Is that this word Vehalitihu Olam? That that vav could be an O, an OR. Okay, so the Radak goes into this. Okay. Okay. And he says, my father explained it like this, that the Vav is instead of O, 
and it's like goes like this it will be for god right hectation will be consecrated to god if it's not appropriate for a carbon or it will be raised for a carbon if it is appropriate for a carbon and that vav you can see that that also um, is used as an or in the case of make avivimo one who strikes his father and his mother. Does it make any sense to say you need to strike both parents before, before you're guilty? Obviously, the Pasik means to say, right? And this makes sense, he says, and that's how it seems for the Pasik because he didn't kill her. And she said, I will mourn my life because he didn't kill her, but she never got married. And that's what she's mourning. And it doesn't say he killed her. It says he did to her his vow. And she was a plusha. She was separated from the world. And this is what he did his vow. And that seems to be um, a, an opinion. But he says, the doctor's also from, he says, if this is what Hazal say happened, then we have to go along with this. So let's take a look at the, the Ramban because it's, it's actually very fascinating. Ramban says like this, the, the original Pasuk that Yiftach was working from is the last Pasuk in Sefer Vayikra. Oh, we don't have all Pasuk here. Motumat, lo motumat, okay? Anything that is declared cherem, right, can be, uh, that has to be put to death, cannot be redeemed. Now. The Ramban, uh, it's it's a it's a long Ramban. I'll just give you the the um, the main points. The idea is like this: if a person is about to be executed, he can't say, "I will redeem myself with money." He shall surely be put to death, right? Our rabbis have differed on this matter, saying, uh, um, "You know what? Okay, let's go on. I want to show you." If a man devotes his belongings, it is holy unto the eternal. But if he devotes people who are not his by enemies, then he has to kill them. Okay. In other words, according to Ramban, Yiftach was misinterpreting this idea. There is no redemption for someone who's condemned to death. And the, the Ramban is trying to explain here but that only applies in two cases. One case is where you go out to war, and this actually happens when the Jews fight the Canaan, and it says, if we win, that we're, they're going to be fair. In other words, I'm declaring that I'm not getting any benefit from these people. And not getting any benefit from these people means they will have to die. This is for enemies. It's also true for a person who uh, flouts the authority of the king and is punished for that. But... Now he gets a little strong. Uh, this was the mistake that Yiftach made with his daughter. He thought that as a cherem of the chief of Israel, because he's a chief, it's valid. It takes effect to put people to death and who transgresses liable to death, liable to the death penalty. Yiftach thought that if he uttered a vow at the time of war to make an offering of certain persons, the vow is valid. But he didn't know that a cherem declared by the king and Sanhedrin is only for rebels or enemies, but that a vow should take effect to make a burnt offering of something not appropriate for God? Heaven forbid! God 
Really, therefore, the rabbis have said, embrace us, Rabbah, the Yifsa was not even obliged to pay the price of her market value to the temple treasury, and he was punished for her innocent blood. The Ramban goes crazy. He says, what are you talking about? He had no right to make a vow to kill her, and that vow was invalid because it was a vow that was a priori, was absolutely not uh, considered a vow. There's a machlokas between Reb Yochan and Reb Shlokas. Reb Yochan says he had to pay her market value. Reb Shlokas says he had to pay nothing. Nada grinished. Now he really gets into Rabbi Ibn Ezra. Do not let yourself be misled by Rabbi Abraham Ibn Ezra's empty words. Oi, may find a few words when the should go after each other. It's hot air, but why? Why is he so strong, right? When he says that the meaning of the expression, I will offer up for burnt offerings, or I will offer it up is to say, if it comes forth a, a, a man or a woman, that person should be holy to God, to stand to minister in the name of the eternal in prayer and thanksgiving to God. But if it could be an offering, it will be an offering. Accordingly, Ibn Ezra's interpretation continues, since Yiftach's daughter was the first to come out, he built her a house outside the city where she resided in seclusion. He provided her with sustenance all her days and no man knew her. His daughter remained shut away from the world all her life. What do we call a woman who lives shuttered away from the whole world and never marries? We know of such types of women. We call them nuns. This makes the Ramban crazy. All this are words of emptiness. It's a lot of ink in Hebrew. It's even stronger. It's hot air. If he vowed that whoever comes out of the door of his house shall be the eternals, this does not mean he should be a separate side from the world. He used to be like Shmuel. Shmuel was also dedicated to God. Did that mean he didn't live in the world? Did that mean he didn't marry and have children? Right? And if it's true, as Ebenezer says, then why do they be wailing her virginity? He cannot handle this. Like harlots enhancing their hire. Heaven forbid that this be a custom in Israel to lament the daughter of Yiftach for four days in a year because she worshiped God in purity. What are you talking about? It goes crazy. According to the opinion of our rabbis, it is possible that there's many, many different subjects. Oh, wait a second, I, I skipped this. This whole subject is to be understood in its plain meaning. He brought her as an offering and his mistake was as I have explained. Okay, so bottom line is the opinion of the Chazal is he actually killed her. Why is the text so circumspect? He did to her his vow. That would be because it's so disturbing to think that he actually did that. Now, I want to show you the Medrash. No, the Medrash. The Medrash says Yiftach was an Amaretz. He was an, an ignorant person. He was a um, sycamore shoot. And that's how he lost his daughter. How? When he fought with Amon, he made this neder. At that time, Hashem got angry at him and said, and if a dog came out, or a pig came out, or a camel came out, you're going to sacrifice it to me? So God says, I'll show you. And God sent him his daughter. In other words, his vow had no sense to it. Now, we just want to um, digress for a second before I show you the Medrash here. If you think about vows, right, in the Tanakh, the first one we see is Eliezer, right? 
what's going on in Eliezer's realm and the, the great discussions of the Medrash and the Gemara, and we don't have time to the whole thing, but the general sense of it is the vow, if it's a vow like Eliezer's, it has to make sense. The girl who comes out, who's a supreme Balat Chesed, she's the one. That makes sense, right? When Yonatan vows, right, if the Plishtim tell me to, you know, come up after them, they're afraid. That's the side that we should go up. There's a logic. There's no logic. Whatever comes out, it's so hefker, it angers God, and God says, I'll show you. Okay, and that's the beginning of the problem. His vow is illogical. His vow is stupid. But we have a mechanism. What to do if you make a stupid vow? People make stupid vows. What do we do if people make stupid vows? We do a Tarasadarim. And the clause is always, if I had known that my daughter was the one who come out, I would never have made that vow. It's very straightforward. But Yiftah thinks because he's the head and he's made the vow in the context of a war, as the Ramban says, that he's totally, uh, it cannot be annulled, right? And when he sees her, the Midrash goes on. Oh no, I cannot take back my vow. And then the Medrash says, well, what about Pinchas? Pinchas was a great Torah leader. Pinchas was a great Torah scholar, right? Why doesn't Pinchas say, Yiftach, just come here. We have a little baked in. You say you didn't mean it, and we forget the whole story. Pinchas said, I'm the Kohen Gadol. I'm a son of Kohen Gadol. I should go to that ignoramus? And Yiftach says, I'm the head of the tribes of evil, of uh, of B'nai Yisrael. I'm the head of the tribes. Should I go to, to, to go to this, this other person, right? I'm the leader. Between the two of them, that poor girl was lost. And the both of them were obligated to pay for her blood. Pinchas lost Ruach HaKodesh, and Yiftach died a gruesome death with his limbs falling off. It sounds like some sort of gangrene. We'll see about it next time. Now, he was buried in the cities plural of Gilad, because wherever he went, when his limb fell off, they buried it. Okay, now another thing that, that we have here, there's more that we have to discuss next time. Why was God so angry at Yiftach? We find out in chapter 12, because Yiftach's behavior, besides his daughter, was not stellar behavior. He was um, arrogant, and he was um, not able to um, take back, to walk back, uh, you know, his, his honor, his honor was too great. And here, when Yiftach came to sacrifice his daughter, she cried before him and said, Father, Father, I went out to greet you with joy and you're going to slaughter me? Did it ever say in the, in the Torah that Jews should sacrifice the, the lives of the children on an altar? And he said, my daughter, I, I bowed. And she said, Yaakov vowed to give Miser of everything. And he had 12 sons. He didn't sacrifice any of his sons. And she mentions Hannah. That's an anachronism because Hannah didn't happen yet. Hannah vowed to give Shmuel over and she didn't kill him. And the spirit of God was crying. Did I ever ask for human sacrifice? This is from Yirmiyahu. Never, God says, never wanted to do such a thing. 
never was supposed to do such a thing. And Yiftach failed this test, and this poor girl is the victim. There's a lot more to say, but I just want to um, I just want to raise the issue here um, because we're trying to derive life lessons here. I'm going to stop the screen share. But I just wanted to show you that the words here are ambiguous. You can, if it's too painful for you to decide that he actually killed her, as the mainstream view of, of Hazal, you can go with this, he made her into a nun idea, which drives Ramon crazy, right? He sent her for two months, she cried that she'll never get married, and then he did to her his vow, which means he made her a nun, and she never got married, and it was a law in Israel, what was the law, right? <clears throat> The law was that they would mourn her for four days, they would visit her for four days, or the law was they should never do it again. Um, <clears throat> but the truth of the matter is, it's a very, very sad, extremely disturbing story. And one of the things that we have to extract from here is, and, and it's one question you ask, why doesn't she have a name? Batyifta. We only know her as Batyifta. She is acted upon. She is the one, it's Yiftachs, it's all about Yiftach. He decides this, she doesn't have any choice in the matter. Why does she say these things? Yes, yes, Father, you've done it. Hazal put this in her, um, in, our, in our understanding. Hazal wants us to understand here, so what, what coming out of her mouth is what we're supposed to be understanding here. In other words, there's something fundamentally wrong with this vow. And the Medris calls him Grofichel Shikma, an Amaaretz, an ignorant person. And one of the things that we learn here is that the Sefer shoved him. There is no leadership. The leaders let you down. They didn't teach people. A person like Yiftach doesn't know enough. He doesn't know that he can be Matzvah He doesn't go to the leaders. There's a disconnect there. And the worst part of it is that what did he think is going to come out of his house? A little lamb to greet him? The idea of human sacrifice is rampant among the Kanani nations that are, take, that are still living in the land and those radical and very, very um, perverse ideas seep into the Jewish uh, consciousness, and so it didn't seem so crazy to him because he said, "I will sack." What did he think? A servant? What did he think? It was hard to imagine that he didn't think a human being would come out to greet him. Well, who's going to come out and greet you? So there's something, and the fact that he doesn't go crazy and say, "Well, I can't do that. How can I, you know, kill my daughter because I made a vow? Like it's just murder. It's just plain murder." So we have to understand that the, the Nubi is teaching us something here. And this is the beginning of the downward slide in Shoptim, where we see that the evil uh, pagan ideas are penetrating and corrupting the Jewish people. And that's really um, the biggest problem here. Um, yeah, very tough, heartbreaking story. Can't make anything good out of it. So sorry. Love to tell you some nice stuff.